Uh, the author in this case is from the ancient world. Oh my goodness. <laughs> feel like I'm doing a little bit of a wine tasting description. Yes. <laughs> um, Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're answering some questions about classics and talking about what classic books are on our summer to-be-read lists. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. So we've been getting requests for a classics episode for a while, and I was tempted to just save it for a fall episode as sort of like back-to-school special, but... I think that we're going to have enough content here to split it into two episodes. We got a lot of questions from people. Plus, I kind of feel like we do a disservice to classics in general or to books when we only associate them with high school reading lists or homework. Right, because that could go one of two ways. Either something that people loved and reread constantly and think about in a positive manner or something that somebody forced them to read that they then do not like and will cut off for the rest of their life. Like me in Holden Caulfield. So the main question that we got a couple times is people would like to know how you and I define classics. I see it as one of two avenues. It's either something um, whose reputation or an author whose reputation is well-known and far-reaching within literature or whatever realm they're in. So it can be a specific work or the author can just be like a classics author or it's something that is really really old classics i think that something that has to have a reputation built around it and that can be either something that somebody knows from hearing about it or they've actually read or somebody from like an ancient text so like uh, plato aristotle like how old do they have to be in order for you to consider it a classic well i mean for my list i have two from the 1960s that's pretty so, recent. So that's just throwing it out there. I think I usually say like 25 to 30 years, but that can be iffy because there are some books that were published in the late 90s, early 2000s that people consider classics today. Okay, you ready for my classic spiel here? Sure, go ahead. You're the, the one who was the educator. People have to know that this is going to take a while for me to explain. <laughs> Mark Twain once said that a classic is a book which people praise and don't read, which I think um, is a little bit true. Well, it's like the reputation thing I was just talking about. Yeah, people generally know which books are considered classics or they might be in the public consciousness in some way. So like a Gatsby. But I, I do think for whatever reason, sometimes people avoid classics. I think it has to do more with high school reading lists than anything. But publishers reprint or redesign or re-release classic books or books that they define as classics um like penguin for example um often though these works are by white men and women there are efforts now being made to remedy that and like include more authors in the literary canon which is a term that i don't really care for Italo Calvino wrote an essay on defining classics, and it's a lot more fluid and open, and it's a little bit more touchy-feely about books, which I like. So I kind of fall in line with a few of his precepts. So here are the ones that stick out to me, and I'll link to um, his essay in an article that lists these. A classic is a book which has never exhausted all it has to say to its readers. 
And I really like that one because I think the mark of a classic book is that somehow it still resonates with an audience, whether that audience was in 1942 or 2042. And I think of like Shakespeare's considered a classic. I know that those are plays, but I think part of why we like seeing Shakespeare plays and part of why they're still performed today is because the themes still resonate with modern audiences. And so that's how I think of classic books too. Another um, mark that Calvino talks about is the classics are those books which come to us bearing the aura of previous interpretations and trailing behind them the traces they have left in the culture or cultures or in the languages and customs through which they have passed. So meaning classics contain culture, whether that's the culture of a time period, the culture of the society that it's about. And when you're reading a classic, you also a little bit feel like you're getting a lesson in culture and history. So we're going beyond like the oral histories of like Greek and Roman philosophers, but we can talk about like modern like classics and think of what do you consider To Kill a Mockingbird in that realm? Oh yeah, I mean, people, I definitely think it counts as a classic. Because people, it's always on like the great American novel lists, and then really that does a good job of implanting you in the South of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So I see what you're saying. Jane Austen fills, fits the bill for that. Um, I think James Baldwin, like we just read, If Beale Street Could Talk in February. And I think that like it gives you a definite sense of time and place. However, the themes still resonate with today. And I think that is a distinctive mark of a classic. Um, and then... One more thing that he says is your classic is a book to which you cannot remain indifferent and which helps you define yourself in relation or even in opposition to it. So I like that he includes this because I think obviously a quote classic book, it's all subjective and it's not fair for one group of people to be in charge of what makes a book a classic and the readers should be the ones who decide which books are classics. I do think it has a lot to do with history and culture and popularity and just what has survived in the public consciousness today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I hope that that defines classics for people. I think I could probably talk for two hours about it, but... Nerd. <laughs> I know. Nerd alert, nerd alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> Um, Let's move on to the next question. Does it take you longer to read a classic and does that deter you from reading them? I think it depends on the classic. Definitely a classic that's, let's say, written in like 1801 is going to have some different language that you have to get used to. Um, So it might take longer to read. Some classics are super short, so they're mm-hmm. actually quicker to read than a lot of the books that I have from the library sitting on the coffee table right now. I mean, you just talked about Shakespeare and all of his plays are super short. Something to be said is like if you read older literature, honestly, you kind of get used to it and you get used to the language. So it might take longer at first, but as you get into the book and as you get accustomed to the language, it can pick up a little quicker. I think what deters me from reading the classics is just that they'll always be there. Right, there's not an urgency to read them and talk about them because the conversation's already been had. Like, you're more interested in the 
recent additions and newer things that the conversation's happening right now. Yeah. I mean, and granted, it's the thing you talked about in the first part where you can always pull something from the work and the conversation and discussion is always going to be there um, is a factor for why you can hold off on it and eventually get to it. That's mm-hmm. how I feel about some of these stuff is like, eventually I will get to it and there's not a real rush. Um, but so that isn't a, a deterrent from reading them all together. It's just other stuff bumps to the forefront. Yeah. But do you feel like it takes you longer if you're reading a classic? Or they, do they take longer to read in general? No. And I feel like that's just a generalization. Um, my longest things it takes me to read are usually histories or biographies, which I wouldn't consider classics. Um, and it really, it's genre-based. Like, you can pick a classic that's shorter and something that you're more interested in, and then that doesn't really apply. Okay, this question I really like. Do you feel like you need to read classics in order to feel literary? I mean, I never really felt a need to feel literary because I'm just like, I'm going to read what I want and I don't care. I knew that you would say something like that. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it depends. Do you feel like you have to feel literary? Um, and how do you define literary? I mean, I think you're literary if you're a reader and you read widely. I also think that literary and literature kind of goes along with fiction more than nonfiction. Um, and obviously, like, nonfiction readers, you're a big nonfiction reader. That is great. That is excellent. But I I do think literature and the term literary kind of fits with fiction. And so I think if you're a fiction reader, you're literary. That works. But if you do feel the pressure to read classics, I get that because I feel pressure from my role as an English teacher that, like, there are certain books that I should have read by now or that I should be reading. No, I feel the same way on the military side of things because there are books that you see all your mentors and everything reading. And so there's that sort of pressure, um, but it's not, like, something that drives every decision that I make. Like, in general, I don't really care about being, um, like, having read classics in order to feel a certain way. It's just from the nature of our job, sometimes we feel like we should have read something by now. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I don't feel that way about all classics. And I think the older that I get and the longer that I teach, the more I realize some classics just aren't worth it for me personally. I have no desire to read William Faulkner or Ernest Hemingway, and I probably won't ever. And I think I can be just as good of an English teacher not reading them. So... Anyway, that's a roundabout way to say, no, we do not feel like we need to read classics to feel literary. But if you do, then go ahead. We release you from that, from that pressure. I'm also glad I didn't grab Hemingway from my stack. (laughs) You can read him. I just don't feel like it. We will answer some other questions that you sent us in the fall and talk a little bit more about classics in general. So if you have more questions about classics and how we choose to read them or whatever you come up with, you can feel free to send those in. But I'm super eager to talk about our to-be-read list for this summer and talk about reading classics in the summertime. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before that summer reading for many people means something fast paced, like a thriller, something page turning, something you can read at the beach. But there's something to be said for when you have some vacation time, if you have vacation time in the summer, um, or like sitting 
just out for an afternoon in the sunshine, there's something to be said for having a book that you can really think about if a classic takes you longer to read that you can take your time with. So I'm curious, Curtis, what is on your list for this summer that you would like to get to that's a classic by your standards? Well, let's examine uh, the questions that we answered. So this is a special edition that a publisher has come out with. So it's the Penguin Classic. Uh, The author in this case is from the ancient world. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I feel like I'm doing a little bit of a wine tasting description. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So he is uh, the Roman emperor who was also a philosopher, originally wrote this in Greek um, for himself without any intention that it was going to be published. Um, This is well known uh, for being like annually read by General Jim Mattis and carried with him on all of his deployments. So it's on a lot of these professional lists of things you're supposed to read. Um, I just randomly turned to a page this morning. um, Well, as I was grabbing it off my shelf, because I have not read this yet. Um, And it says, at the break of day, when you're reluctant to get up, have this thought ready in mind. If I am going out to do what I was born for, the purpose for which I was brought into this world, do I still then resent it? Or was I created to wrap myself in blankets and keep warm? But this is more pleasant. (laughs) Were you born for pleasure, all for feeling, or for action? I'm ready. I'm ready to do PT. I I was born for being warm in the blankets. (laughs) Maybe this isn't for you. So that is a book, it's a collection of like short meditations, right? It's more of a... Almost like poetry? It's poetry, it's a journal, it's like diary, it's like his thoughts and philosophy on leadership and life. So it's not a, you know, it's not a novel, it's not a history, it's not a memoir, it's just a collection of his thoughts. And it's really old, like we're talking AD 121 to like 150 period. Oh yeah. So... More than 25 years old. Uh, yeah. Fits, fits that category. <laughs> I think that's something um, that I didn't mention is that if you feel pressure to read classics, but you're a little bit wary or you don't feel like you have the time to devote to a full novel, poetry, there's so much classic poetry available to pick up and read, or you can even look it up on the internet and then you're reading classics mm-hmm. um, or something like this where really you can just read a little bit every day. Um, I like that. Um, something to be brought up for like these old like Greek and Roman philosophers or leaders is the translation plays a big role, um, which is why you see a lot of these getting re-released over time in every decade or so. And that's just because people have their own takes, have their own spin. Sometimes they'll release versions with the commentary or there's like new source material that goes into it. So that's another part of like classic literature that I see is like modern influences play a role because there's modern people that are translating the original work. Like the Odyssey that was translated by, I'd have to look up her last name, but her first name is Emily. And it's the first version of the Odyssey translated by a woman. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's going to offer a different perspective on the story. Mm -hmm. So that would be another good one to read over summer. Um, Okay. At the top of my list, it will come as no surprise to anyone, is some Jane Austen. No surprise. It might surprise people that I have only read four of Jane Austen's works, um, Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Persuasion, and Lady Susan. 
So I have been really wanting to reread Emma for a long time. I read it my senior year of high school. I love it. Some people don't like Emma because they find her annoying, but I love her and I find her extremely endearing and her character arc is wonderful. Kind of think like if you hated Sansa at first in Game of Thrones (laughs) and then you love her by the end. Yeah. That's a little bit, Emma. That fits. Except she's into matchmaking, not ruling. Anyway, um, the other book that I think is summary from Jane Austen is Sense and Sensibility, which I haven't read. And I've kind of put it off because I don't know if I'm going to like it as much as her other ones. To be determined which one of those I pick up. I just don't know if I have room for both of them this summer. Which one is more of a hot take? Your like of Emma or your dislike of Little Women? Oh, people would be way more upset at me for not liking Little Women than for loving Emma. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I still get tomatoes thrown at me for Little Women, so whatever. (laughs) What's the next book on your summer classics list? So this is from the 1960s, and it's the classic true crime book, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. So this is the second highest grossing true crime novel, or I wouldn't say true crime novel, uh, just true crime book published uh, behind Helter Skelter. Um, And it's something that propelled Capote into like this, he was already well known and he's part of this well like circle of critically acclaimed writers of his time. Um, But this is one that kind of just through him and is known as like one of his better works so it's about the quadruple murder of four people well yeah quad, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna cut that out no i yeah. can't no you can't too good no you can cut it <laughs> you can cut that no so it's about a quadruple murder in kansas in 1959 so relatively recent uh after it happened published in 1966 Um, And he goes in and interviews residents and investigators and apparently had took like thousands of pages of notes in order to get this done. So we've been on a little bit of a true crime kick over the last couple of years. Like I think the Serial podcast had a big influence on that. You're in more of a true crime kick than I am. Yeah, but I've got a couple of the classics like this one, Public Enemies. I do want to read Helter Skelter once in a while. But it, it's the same sentiment that you mentioned in the first part. Like, these works aren't going anywhere. The events happened a long time ago. So eventually when I get to them, I'll get to them. But I think this is the summer that I'm going to read in Cold Blood. I find it super interesting that two of your classics so far are more nonfiction. I don't think that that's much of a surprise. I think we're we explored at the beginning that classic doesn't just have to be literary or fiction to be considered a classic. I think every category has its own classics. Um, Another book on my summer list is Passing by Nella Larson. And this is a 1920s Harlem Renaissance novel, and it explores the practice of racial passing, which basically means um, someone who is one racial group and they're passing for the other. So in this case, it's about two black women who are passing as white and basically how that shapes their identities, 
how that seeps into their psychology, their emotions, and their lives. And it's a pretty slim book. Um, It's kind of short. I really love Harlem Renaissance writing. Um, Langston Hughes is one of my favorite authors and poets. And I think the 1920s with all of the glitter and glamour make for good summer reading. It is picked up by Rebecca Hall is going to direct the movie and Tessa Thompson has already been tapped to star in it. So that is intriguing. I always think that book to movie adaptation, especially with classics, is fascinating. And it's also about friendship. So the two women who are at the center of the novel who are passing as white meet up and it's about their relationship to each other too. So I think in terms of resonating themes, themes that resonate today, it's going to fill that category. And then in terms of um, immersing you in a cultural time period, I think it's going to fit that as well. So I'm really excited to read that one. And that's another one that has seen a couple of different covers and publishing um, printing new releases and stuff like that. So um, when we're thinking about that as the mark of a classic. So while we've been doing yard work or organizing our books in our new house or grilling out, we've been doing a lot of audiobook listening lately. Libro FM is our favorite audiobook subscription service, and for our listeners, they're offering three audiobooks for the price of one. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including new releases, current bestsellers, and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And when you set up your account, you can choose to support your local independent bookstore. With Libro FM, you get to listen to amazing audiobooks and support community. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, Libro FM has excellent curated lists to choose from, plus bookseller recommendations. Listeners of Hear It, She Read podcast get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. That's three audiobook credits for the price of one. We've made the switch to Libro FM and hope you will too. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the promo code HRSR or go through the link in our show notes. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. All right, Curtis, third and final summer classic on your to-be-read list. Third and final. So this author I've read previously, um, one of his other works is a classic in military leadership as well as science fiction and fantasy. Um, And then I was looking on the shelf and found this one. And on the book itself it says the most famous science fiction novel ever written and on the back calls it a classic so i feel like it fits this category (laughs) okay um it's robert heinland's stranger in a strange land so i've previously read starship troopers and i think i've talked about that on, on the show um as one of my favorite books ever and something that has been recommended for military reading for a long time This one uh, was written in 1960s, and it's a reference um, to a phrase in Exodus um, where they're talking about strangers um, in a strange land, and it's about somebody from Mars who comes to live on Earth, Um, and it explores how that changes culture between Earth and Martians, and it's been recognized by the Library of Congress as one of the books that shaped America. So I haven't really dived in a lot into it i know there's a backstory about 
whether he thought society was going to be into it in the 60s or whether they were because it was the time period of like going to the moon and doing a lot of space exploration stuff so the idea of having somebody from mars who was you know radically different and how that was going to change culture uh was a little bit different so it won the hugo award for the best novel and has been changing science fiction ever since you love your award winners i do indeed also little known fact it contains the earliest description of a waterbed. Hmm. That is interesting. That didn't uh, make its real-world debut for another couple of years. My final book is The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. I don't really feel like I need to talk about what this is about. It's a dystopia. It's considered one of the classic feminist novels. And it's a TV show on Hulu. I don't think that I will watch the show. I think I'm too sensitive for that. Maybe just the first season. But it is a book that I've been meaning to read for a long time. And I don't know, I think it's that thing of like, it's always going to be there. And I have it on the shelf. So why pick it up right now? Right. It's not like you have this FOMO feeling because it's already such a part of culture. As mm-hmm. it is. So you're already missing out on that because the show's been around for a long time. People have been talking about it before then. So there's no real need to jump in if you're not wanting to be a part of that, kind of. Yeah. I'm I'm more interested in reading the book than in watching the TV series. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I don't I guess I feel like summer might be a good time to read it because it is so dark and depressing that maybe reading it in summer is a good contrast for that one. Yeah. Okay. I have a bunch of other recommendations for summer classics to read. Are you ready? Here comes the fire hose. (laughs) People, get your uh, popcorn ready and your TBR (laughs) lists ready. So um, these are in decreasing age order. The first one is from 1993. Are you ready, though? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you asking me? I can look at them. Okay. Um, the first one is from 1993. It is by Octavia Butler. It is The Parable of the Sower. Again, sort of a dystopian novel. This is about America in the 2020s and 2030s. And I think it's really interesting to read books that were speculating about the time period that you're now in. And this one specifically, if you read the description, you will see it is relevant And it resonates. So Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. The next one that I think is a great summer classic is Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. It was written in, or published rather, in 1958. I will admit, this one was on my freshman year high school summer reading list. And I did read it, and I didn't like it then. And then I read it again in college, and then I read it again to teach it, and now it's one of my favorite classics. Um, it is about colonization, and Chinua Achebe is one of the absolute greatest African authors, and yeah, I just think it's short, and I think that it's really compelling. So that's a good summer book to pick up. The next one is from 1938. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And this one is perfect for summer because there are lots of really good like summer garden descriptions. There's a storm. It's a mystery. I really liked this one when I read it. 
I think that when you read Rebecca, if you really like domestic thrillers, like modern domestic thrillers, you read Rebecca and you can see where books like Gone Girl came from. The next one is from 1926, The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery. You all know that I love Anne of Green Gables, but The Blue Castle is such a sweet book. So good for summer because, again, nature descriptions. I don't know why nature descriptions matter a lot to me in the summertime, but they do. The main character is trying to learn how to stand up to her family. Her family treats her terribly, and she learns how to stand up for herself, and it's just such a good, sweet story. In 1905, we have The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. This is a great book to pick up if you enjoy The Great Gatsby. Um, Different time period, but still lavish descriptions of parties, glamour. This is the Gilded Age, so we've got that like dripping with wealth, high society kind of thing going on. Really compelling heroine at the center of it, The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. And the oldest one that I'm recommending is from 1895, The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. This is a play, but I enjoy reading plays as classics, and I think that this one specifically is just so hilarious. Think like garden party, summertime. It's just hilarious, and I think that it works really well on the page. So The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. I will include a bunch more classic titles for summer in the July newsletter on Patreon, so you can head there to find a much more comprehensive list if you're looking for a classic street in the summertime. Time to move on to recommendations of the week. Chelsea, you can go ahead and go first. Okay. My recommendation is that you go follow Diverse Classics on Instagram. Anna does an amazing job of curating beautiful pictures of classics by diverse authors, read non-white, and she does a read-along every month, I believe. So check out at Diverse Classics on Instagram, and of course I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So definitely check out that Instagram account if you're looking to add classics to your list. What's your recommendation? So I have not seen it yet, but my June favorite book of the month um, is has been turned into a TV show. So it's The Rook on Stars. Um, so I don't remember if I've talked about it on the regular episodes or just on Patreon, but The Rook uh, is a fantasy science fiction book um, by Daniel O'Malley about the secret society that deals with abnormal and kind of not extraterrestrial, but like magic entities in the British Empire. So it's been turned into a TV show. I don't know anything about it other than it's on premium cable, so I'm hoping it's good, and I want people to go check it out. Okay, if you like this episode format, you might want to check out our Patreon page. Every month we're posting a bonus episode featuring our favorite books that we read, a newsletter full of behind-the-scenes info and extra book recommendations based on our monthly buddy reads. Subscribe to all of this bonus content for only $3 per month. Another great way to support the show is to take a couple of minutes and write a review on Apple Podcasts. We so appreciate your enthusiasm. We still can't believe that you guys listen to us talk about books every week. Well, not every week now. Our buddy read for July is Bluebird Bluebird by Attica Locke. Thank you to Libra FM for sponsoring this episode. We so appreciate working with them. 
Connect with us via social media or email. We're on Twitter and Instagram at HeRedSheRed, or you can email us your questions, HeRedSheRedPodcast at gmail.com. Um, accumulation of questions is how we came up with this episode, and we can do more of that in the future based on what you guys want to hear from us. Thank you all for listening. And remember, a couple that reads together sometimes avoids the classics together. <laughs> <laughs>